All right, so the kids are heading down, the kids at heart are staying up, and we are in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy right? Um, and uh, it shouldn't be a surprise because we've been there for a while, and, and we will continue to be in the book of Deuteronomy until Easter, which six weeks. Anybody else feel like the year's going by too fast? Yes. Six weeks from today is Easter Sunday. I, you know, um, so uh, let that settle where it is in your mind and heart. But uh, that's where we are in the church here. We are six weeks away from Easter um, and, uh, and all the excitement that comes with celebrating the risen Lord. Not that we don't celebrate the risen Lord every Sunday, because every Sunday should... I pressed the button. I hope that didn't do anything. Okay. Um, every Sunday should be like Easter Sunday for us as Jesus people, right? right. Because every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday for us. Um, but that's the day that we set aside in the church calendar, and that's six weeks away. So mark your calendars and be sure to join us for Easter. Um, little plug there. Um, we are in Deuteronomy 19, 20, and 21 today. Um, if you read this, and I sent out the notification late, so my bad if you did not get to read uh, this, this section of scriptures prior to today. Um, this is a challenging set of chapters. Um, there are a lot of laws and rules that don't seem connected to one another as you read through these chapters. Um, chapter 19 kind of deals with what happens if someone dies in the sense of um, manslaughter or intentional murder. So that's, that's how chapter 19 kind of lays out. What do you do if in God's community there is a, a manslaughter or a murder? How do you handle that with justice and love and grace so that the community is not divided but restored? And, and then chapter 20 deals with this idea about war. How do you as God's people engage in warfare, which God said, go into the promised land and, and in some cases, offer peace to nations. And if they don't receive that from you, then wipe them off the face of the planet. Well, how does that, how do you reconcile that? That's, that's a hard thing to reconcile. And then in chapter 21 deals with these gray areas of the topics of life and death. Gray areas that are very challenging situations. Now, for instance... Um, one of the circumstances is what happens if there is a, a dead body found, someone has been murdered, and not, it's not within any city limits. How do you enact justice for that? Who, who takes responsibility for that? Somewhere there is a murderer. But how do you atone for that? How do you do justice by the dead person and bring to justice a city that is fractured, wandering, wandering around, who among us was the murderer? Right? Um, they all seem rather disjointed. And if you read it, some of them almost read like the Proverbs in the sense of this sentence says one thing and then it like jumps topic to another and you shall live this way and you shall live this way and you shall live this way. And, and yet... In God's beautiful providential wisdom and the way he puts together scriptures to grow us in the Lord and to teach us something, these three chapters, 19, 20, and 21, deal with really just one overarching topic. And it's life. The beauty of life. And how do we as God's people 
honor and cherish life. Um, uh, in the, the biblical concept here of life is that life is a gift from God and it is to be cherished. Um, and if you read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it said, God saw the whole of what he made. And it was very good. Right? That means mosquitoes and their life. <laughs> very good. Right? I struggle with that. Snakes. Anybody not snake people, right? Snakes are very good, according to the Bible, which is God's word to us, right? That doesn't mean you have to like them, but God says their life is very good, right? Implied in this, humans and their lives. Made in the image of the creator of the universe. Male and female, he made them. Very good. So precious to God is life that he declares it very good. Not just good. Not just average. Not just okay. Not just could be better. Not just on the grading scale of creation. Meh. Very good. Um, and ancient Israel took this understanding from God. That, that life is to be cherished. That life is a gift. In fact, not just their own lives, but they understood that what came out of the ground, the life of plants, was a gift from God. That God was over the harvest. He made the rain fall. He made the crops grow. The life that they could sustain was given to them by God. Everything was related to life. The land, the promised land. That was promised so that they could have life, right? That's why the tribes were given their territories within the land so that they could have land to um, settle, to grow, harvest, to raise um, cattle and sheep and all that stuff so they could have life to live off of. One of the passages in chapter 19 talks about moving boundary stones. Who here has boundary stones on your property, defining your property from your neighbor's property. Like some of you, yes, right? I saw like three hands. Excellent. You are following Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy <laughs> principles for property management, right? But generally speaking, we don't have property stones to mark our property anymore. We have these invisible boundary lines that you have to look in maps and whatnot to find, right? Life was so precious that it was a crime to move someone's boundary stone. Why? You were embezzling the land that God gave them to live off of, right? So, so life is so important. In ancient Israel, viewed the shedding of blood, human blood, the murder or the death, the killing of one of God's very good, made in his own image people. They counted that as a virtual assault on Yahweh, right? So, so sacred was life that if you took a life, that was in essence you doing that to Yahweh. You were, you were sinning directly against God. Now, now it, it works like this. Do you remember um, 
The story of Cain and Abel, the first two brothers who walked the face of the earth, right? Adam and Eve had some babies. They were fruitful. They multiplied, right? This is what God asked them to do. He blessed them, be fruitful, multiply. Cain and Abel, right? Brothers. So sometimes brothers don't get along. Cain and Abel were the first that did not get along. Um, and they were out doing the brotherly things, one working this way and one working this way, and they got into an argument, and it ended with Cain killing Abel. You guys remember what the scriptures say about that? God says that Abel's blood cried out from the ground for justice. This is God's way of reinforcing the idea that every death is significant. Every life is valuable, right? So then we get to Deuteronomy as God is shaping his people to truly understand how to live as God's people. And how to deal with the stuff that happens. Um, this is where we get into Deuteronomy chapter 19. We're going to read it a little bit here. Um, you can follow along uh, here or in your books. It's, it's Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> Before we do, let's pray uh, that, uh, that God will help us understand the culture that this is written in. And then take the principles and apply them to us, okay? Lord, um, we're going to read your word, some Old Testament Deuteronomy things today. Um, may we understand what is being said in the context that it is written, and then may we take those truths that are timeless and apply them to our lives and our society. Help us to truly understand the value of life, the value of justice, and the value of peace that is expressed in your word today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. When God, your God, not just any God, Yahweh God, okay? When Yahweh throws the nations out of the country that God, your God, not any God, Yahweh God, is giving you, and you settle down in their cities and houses, you are to set aside three easily accessible cities in the land that God, your God, Yahweh God is giving you for your very own. Do you understand what God is emphasizing here? Where did they get this land from? God, God right? Not any God, Yahweh God. The God, the powerful God. The God who said very good God. The God who made the heavens and the earth God. God gives them this land. God gives them life. God provides everything. This is what is important here. God is in control. So when you have all this land, you need to set aside three easily accessible cities. Divide your land into thirds. This land that God, your God, Yahweh God, is giving you to possess. And build roads to the towns so that anyone who accidentally kills another can flee to one of those three cities. This is the guideline for the murderer who flees there to take refuge. He has to have killed his neighbor without premeditation and with no history of bad blood between them. Does this make sense? For instance, for example, i.e., a man goes with his neighbor into the woods to cut a tree. He swings the axe and the head slips off the handle and hits his neighbor, killing him. He may then flee to one of the cities to save his own life. If the city is too far away, the avenger of blood. We don't use this term in modern day society, the avenger of blood. Um, this just means the, the person who accidentally got killed 
that family member is the avenger of blood. So like if my brother was accidentally killed, I would be considered the avenger of blood in old school society. And it would be like my right to go out and, you know, kill the person who accidentally killed my brother. But, but then that person will have an avenger of blood, right? And they can come and kill someone. And then it's just, it's just like lobbing death after death after death, right? Does this make sense? This is why God establishes cities of refuge. If the city is too far away, the avenger of blood racing in hot-blooded pursuit might catch him because it's a long distance and kill him even though he didn't deserve it. There's some justice in there, right, that we need to pay attention to. It wasn't his fault. There was no history of hatred between them. Therefore, I command you, set aside three cities for yourself. And when God, your God, the Yahweh God, enlarges your land, you don't enlarge your land, God enlarges your land, extending its borders as he solemnly promised to your ancestors by giving you the whole land he promised them, because you are diligently living in the way I'm commanding you, namely to love your God, your God, the Yahweh God, and to do what he tells you all your life. And when that happens, when your land and territory is increased, then add three more to these three cities. Implication, as your territory grows, make sure you add more cities of refuge so that there is always a city of refuge close by so that someone who accidentally kills someone has a place to go to be safe, to have refuge, to take shelter. So that there is no chance of innocent blood being spilled in your land. This is all to preserve life. Do we understand this? Um, God, your God, Yahweh God, is giving you this land as an inheritance. You do not want to pollute it with innocent blood and bring blood guilt upon yourself. On the other hand, if a man with a history of hatred toward his neighbor waits in ambush, then jumps on him, mauls him, and kills him, and then runs off to one of these cities, that's a different story. The elders of his own city are to send for him and have him brought back. They are to hand him over to the avenger of blood for execution. Don't feel sorry for him. Clean out the pollution of wrongful murder from Israel so that you'll be able to live well and breathe clean air. These are hard passages, are they not? This is a challenge where God is delineating between intentional and unintentional taking of life and how we should handle these things. See, the cities of refuge um, demonstrate to us that God places an extraordinary value on life, peace, and justice. They were established by God so that God's people could have a way of living with life, peace, and justice. Life would be honored because it is, it is from God and declared very good. But in challenging circumstances, peace and justice still need to be worked out. So God provides a system for his people for this to happen. See, the cities of refuge, spaced evenly among the places where people live, provided a place and a time for anger to subside, for facts to come forward, and for the safety of the accused to be provided. How terrible is it in our justice system, coming into the modern century now, okay? How terrible is it in our justice system when people are accused of something, wrongly incarcerated, 
and spend their entire lives in jail. It happens. In fact, there are entire um, nonprofits associated, uh, uh, purposed to help free people who have been wrongly incarcerated. It's a terrible injustice. But we, though, have a system where we don't, you know, it's not like immediately Avenger of Blood gets, you know, to kill someone as part of our justice system, right? Thankfully. Um, in this day and age, in the Old Testament, they did. How wise is it for God to provide a place where things can simmer and justice can prevail? Because that's what God's people are to live for, justice. Not instant wrath. Not um, knee-jerk reactions. And God says, I know my people. Uh, their first inclinations are not necessarily the best ones. I'm going to provide a place where people can have their life preserved while we wait for trial. Right? Cities of refuge would be a place where people could come and be safe while things were brought to truth. Uh, they protected the society from um, rash blood vengeance, which is just that you killed my brother, I'm going to kill your sister. You killed my sister, I'm going to kill your aunt. You killed my aunt, I'm going to kill your dog. You killed my dog, oh my gosh, right? And it just goes back and forth and back and forth until literally there's nobody left and the whole ground is soaked with blood and it's all crying out for justice, just like Abel's did. As Israel grew, more cities were added. And I wonder, I don't have knowledge of this. It's not necessarily described for us. I wonder how populated these cities of refuge were. How many people were accidentally killed, you know? Um, we, they didn't have OSHA standards back then, right? Um, and so, I mean, I'm sure that accidental de deaths were common, especially because work was hard. Um, there were risks associated with daily living. And I'm thankful that God provided a place for this to be sorted out. Now, as they were awaiting justice to prevail in the city of refuge, um, uh, we learn a little bit more about how this works. In, in, in the continuation of the story in chapter 19, um, there are a few more verses that talk about these witnesses. Okay, um, so if you want to pick up in, in chapter 19, verse 15, it says this. Um, you cannot convict anyone of a crime or sin on the word of one witness. You need two or three witnesses to make a case. If a hostile witness stands to accuse someone of a wrong, both parties involved in the quarrel must stand in the presence of God. Before the priests and the judge who are in the office at that time. And we talked about this in a previous week. How the priests and the judge served as the tribunal, right? The, the leaders who would make a definitive judgment. And you would live by that judgment. Because it was made in the presence of God. They acted on behalf of God. So what they said was God's pronouncement for the people. Uh, uh, presence of God who are in office at that time. The judges must conduct a careful investigation. They did not come to a decision like that. It was not, well, we've known these guys longer or these guys, you know, uh, whatever have. I, 
There was no favoritism in this system. The judges and the priests stood in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord was the standard of justice and the rudder by which the priests and the judges made their ruling. They were very careful to discern with the facts and the witnesses, to investigate, to ask questions. To They were the CSI of the day, right? They would go to the, the brother and the other clan, and they would look at the place where the person was killed, and they would investigate thoroughly everything to look at. If the witness turned out to be a false witness and has lied against his fellow Israelite, give him the same medicine he intended for the other party. Mm. Now, now, before I continue reading, let me, let, me, let me say this, an example. Say, I accused, Nancy, you're just sitting right in lines of eyesight, I'm sorry. You're just, you're the one, okay? Say I accused Nancy of stealing my chickens. Nancy, you stole my chickens. I'm taking you to the tribunal, right? But she didn't steal my chickens, okay? I am a false witness. And I gather some friends of mine, Nancy stole my chickens. And they're like, Nancy stole your chickens. And we go and they investigate. And I say, Nancy stole my chickens. She needs to lose her hands so that she cannot steal anybody else's chickens. And they investigate and they find out I'm lying. What this passage means is that the justice that I wanted for Nancy will then be mine. They will lop my hands off. This is a system designed to deter false witnesses. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Clean the polluting evil from your company. This is strong words from God. God says, we don't want any of this kind of behavior in our holy fellowship. People will hear of what you've done and be impressed. That will put a stop to this kind of evil among you. Don't feel sorry for the person. It's life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is What this means is, if I wanted to enact a pound of flesh from them and I'm false witness, enact that pound of flesh for me. If I was going to knock their tooth out but I'm a false witness, knock my tooth out. How many of you would doubly think about what you say or do if this was the system of justice? Who? Man, alive, right? Yikes. False witnesses create a great danger to covenantal community life. This is what this passage teaches us. Amen. Right? False witnesses create a great danger to covenantal community life. God is saying, my people need to live in covenant with me and with each other. What breaks covenantal fellowship? Division, lies, um, murders. Yeah, look at the Ten Commandments and don't do those things, right? For the most part, this is, it breaks the fellowship among God's people. And false witnesses have the ability to devastate innocent life. If not if not truly discovered, a false witness has the ability to have someone murdered unjustly. 
False witnesses have the power in this society to have someone executed unjustly. Think about, jump forward in history just a little bit, the trial of Jesus. The false witnesses that were brought against him. The illegal trial that he had before he was executed. This happened to Jesus. And he was not given a fair trial. Let that sit in your brain for a little bit. False witnesses devastate innocent life and they hinder the justice of God. So at least two witnesses were needed, according to this system. Um, two witnesses, because if, if, if it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a life for a life, if that's the system, it's going to be hard to convince someone to lie with you, right? Because you're bringing them into the risk of, ah, <laughs> no, I don't really want to part in your lie. I, I'm, I don't want to part in this. Uh, I, I, I don't bring me in not my circus not my monkeys would be a common phrase back then perhaps because they don't want to get wrapped up in this you know what I mean though right like not, I'm not going to have a part in this um, yeah, maybe the more holy way of phrasing it is you're breaking covenantal fellowship and I won't have a part in this the accuser and the accused would appear before Yahweh the judge and the priests and God himself according to the passage, is the plaintiff and the judge. Because when we sin against God's people, we are sinning against God. When we do any kind of sin, we are sinning against God. It's a, a willful transgression against the known law of God. He is the perfect standard, and anything less than that is against the holiness standard of God. So God alone gets to be the judge and the plaintiff in this. And, and the priests would voice truth and justice on behalf of God. And this due process was necessary. Wisdom and discernment from God was with them in this process. And if a false witness was found, it would then be that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of thing. Now... Um, it's a harsh justice society when you look at that. It's not how we do justice in our world. It's how the Old Testament was designed by God for this specific period of time. Now we're we're going to jump ahead to the end of Deuteronomy 21. Uh, I, I'm skipping over a lot. I wish I had more time to delve into the passages in chapter 20 and some of the content in 21. Because there is so much interesting thing in there. And if you have questions, if you read those passages, and I encourage you to, and want to be like, I don't understand, because that's a really fair statement sometimes in scripture, please come ask me, because I would love to share with you the things that I have learned in studying for this. I just don't have the ability to discuss it all in a Sunday morning. But if we jump ahead to the end of Deuteronomy 21... We are still focused, right, on life and the cherishing of life. And all life is very good. Um, including those who have committed intentional murder. Even villains. 
still deserve justice and dignity. Is that a hard pill to swallow? Even the people who have done so wrong still deserve justice and dignity. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. When a man has committed a capital crime, right? He's murdered somebody intentionally. And he's been given the death sentence, executed, and hung from a tree. Don't leave his dead body hanging overnight from the tree. Give him a decent burial that same day so that you don't desecrate your God-given land. A hanged man is an insult to God. Even when a person has gone so far astray and done something so terrible to destroy community and destroy life, God himself says, he deserves a decent burial. Justice needs to be enacted, but that, that doesn't mean you heap horrible things upon this. That doesn't mean you desecrate the land. It doesn't mean you go above and beyond. Enact justice. And do it with dignity and respect. The next slide is, don't read it into our justice system. The next slide is really Old Testament justice system. When justice is enacted, even through execution, it ends bloodshed and brings peace. Because when someone has intentionally murdered someone in the Old Testament... The sentence was death, and they were found that it was valid and just. This person, there were no false witnesses. This very much did happen. Someone laid in wait and executed someone else without reason. And then that person is brought to justice through a trial before God, and they are determined to be guilty, and then they are executed. It ends the bloodshed. There is no volley of avenger of blood. It ends there. Justice has been served, and peace then reigns in the hearts and minds of the community. A fair, just trial, a proper burial, cherishing life in God's covenantal community even means villains. Those who have done wrong to you. I believe it was even Jesus who says, pray for your enemies. That's a New Testament application of this concept. Pray for the people who have wronged you. Let justice prevail, not at your hand, but at God's hand. It's not us that get to determine how justice is played out, but God, your God, Yahweh God, who gives you land and life is the one who gets to determine justice. So how does justice prevail in our lives in the New Testament? Thankfully, we don't live in that <laughs> uh, Old Testament justice system, right? Because how many of us would be missing an eye or a tooth, right? I mean, realistically, um, we would be a society of maimed people. <laughs> By our own unjust actions, we would visibly look to each other the way that our sin makes us look to God. I'm thankful it's not like that, and here is why. In the New Testament, there was this guy named Jesus, fully God and fully man, a 200% person, right? It's never happened before. 
It's one time in history. God said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to have him wrap himself in flesh. He's going to come and walk the face of the earth. And he's going to enact a kind of justice that is long-term justice. It's not one-time justice for one person's sin. This is permanent justice for all of the life that I cherish that is very good. And if you read these Deuteronomy passages, you will recognize some of these words that play out in the New Testament. In Scripture, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us, by the way. We're not Jewish. We're Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus himself experienced an unjust trial. False witnesses. Everything that could go wrong in his justice experience did go wrong. By the will of God. So that Jesus experienced all the injustice. And we got life. We got justice. Everything that we deserved got heaped upon Jesus. And he hung on the tree. He died in our place. He got the death that we should have had. We have wronged God. And in Old Testament justice, we should have died. In New Testament grace, in New Testament justice, God died in our place. He alone is able to say, I cherish life so much that I will give mine for theirs. Here's what it says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him he holds all things together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead in that Everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of the cross. And you. Who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Here's the thing about the justice that God does. It was completely unfair for Jesus and completely awesome for us. We have just witnesses against us. Um, God's Holy Spirit cries out against our sin. And there is no better witness than God. (laughs) And yet God, in the throne room of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, saying, we see what you have done. 
You are guilty of sinning. We declare you innocent because of Jesus. That's this Deuteronomy system played out for our life. He got all the false witnesses. He got all the lashings. He got the death. He got hung on a tree. Everyone saw him. It was despised and despicable. He also got a just burial, but he didn't stay there. He rose, right? In power and glory to bring us into a holy and blameless covenantal lifestyle where we then, um, we then look at, um, at the way we used to live and we go not in God's community anymore. No longer will we live for unjust things, but we choose justice. And in every way that we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will seek to preserve the life that God has given us, individually and collectively, by speaking truth, by submitting ourselves to the justice of God, by never bearing false witness against the neighbor, right? Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if your neighbor slaps you upside the face, turn the other cheek. If your neighbor steals your coat, give him your tunic, right? God's sense of justice means we let him enact it and we love people and pray for people and act holy and blameless because that is what he has made us. This is not a when it happens, it is a it has happened. You are holy and blameless people living in a covenantal society together. This is a beautiful thing. So live that life together. Amen. Let me go ahead and pray. Um, and we have communion available. Um, I think today I might just hold it and allow you to come up um, while the worship song plays um, to come partake in this meal, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, which says Jesus died in your place for your sins. He was innocent. We were guilty. He got death. We got life. God's justice is amazing. Amen. When you take this meal, you're proclaiming that for your life, that you are holy and blameless because of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the way that you enact justice for our life. May we live according to the way that you have called us. May we be people of your justice, people of your peace, people holy and blameless. We give you honor and glory for it's yours and yours alone this morning, Father. We pray this in your name.